are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. All right, uh, I just want to reiterate a couple of announcements. Um, and that is, again, we do have the ping pong tournament, whether or not you know how to play. We had a couple people uh, last tournament just donate. And this is for missions. It's, it's, um, it's to bring our missionaries that we sponsor here. And with that, the sign-up sheet in the back, it says, we want these individuals who have committed their entire lives to serving God uh, in areas that are uh, truly difficult, has lost spiritual tension, a lot of political issues, a lot of conflicts, whether it's through war or whatever you want to call it, a lot of unrest there, and they are just devoting uh, their lives, you know, every single moment, every single day to serve God and serve the people there and to love them. And then once a year, actually not even once a year, this, the last time we had missions conference was what, three years ago? 2011, so five years ago. So once every so many years, they will come here and it's an opportunity for us to serve them. Okay, um, not only do they need our prayers, but they need our our love and our compassion. And so the sign up in the back, it, it covers their entire schedule from the moment that they touch down to the moment they leave. To, I think they'll, they'll be leaving Monday, um, but the schedule is free. So for any of the missionaries who, um, like Pastor Esther was saying, you know, if you want to jot your name down next to, let's say, like a Thursday night dinner. Um, we want as many people to take them out, okay, and to feed them and to just treat them well and to just love on them. And then so they can come back and be like, man, Shining Star truly loves me. And, and um, so it's just an awesome privilege and opportunity for us. So can you, can you make sure? I would love for every single person, okay, to get involved. Um, whether you have a penny to your name or not, just you being there uh, would be fantastic, okay? So the, sh- the sign-up sheet is in back. We will be encouraging the life group leaders, your leaders, to go ahead and, uh, and to remind you uh, for, to the weeks, uh, until, I guess, for the next few weeks. So keep that in mind. People have argued over lesser things, silly things, new chapel design elements or colors, styles of worship. I had a professor who told me, actually, his church, um, a huge percentage of people left because they said the Bible never mentioned drums. And how dare you play it? Yeah. Things like personality differences and leadership. But ultimately, you know what it is? It's all just bickering. It's all squabbles for the sake of making noise and tragically from these small issues that could be resolved with just simple dialogue between people, churches, and congregations have actually ended up dividing. How dare you say sprinkling? It's raining, because that's what my mom said, right? Jesus hates it. The apostles have always warned against such divisiveness, and I want you guys to hate that kind of stuff too. Hate it. Have you ever had an issue with someone at home, at work, or at church where you knew it wasn't that big a deal, but you made a mountain out of a molehill and blew it out of proportion? Tell your neighbor right now, let's not be petty. I feel like there's a lot of reconciliation happening between husband and wives right now. <laughs> With that said, there are, however, some disputes that we cannot avoid, that we should not avoid, 
And that's the issue here in the Galatian churches. The issue in the Galatian church was clear. It's clear. The issue was this. What, what do we have to do to earn God's favor? What do we have to do to find ourselves to be acceptable before him? Now, that can become a really complex discussion. In fact, here's the thing. That's the question that every person is asking, whether you're a Christian or not, because every other religion in the world is out to prove that. What do we have to do to get to God? What do we have to do to find favor or righteousness or acceptance or whatever? What should we do? What can we do? Now, the point of this sermon series and you need to, is this, by the end of it, is this, you all need to make sure that you have a definitive stance on the core issue, and that is, what is the gospel? What is the true gospel? Because that's what the book of Galatians is all about. It sets forth and defends the gospel truth, which is the only way to be acceptable before God, and that is by faith, trusting in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, period. There is nothing else to it. Nothing else. Every other answer that you may have heard in the past, that you are hearing now, or that you will hear in the future, everything else is a false gospel if it does not talk about the death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? No matter how pretty the package may be. And so I've got two points that I'd like to make today concerning this text. And the first one is this. Our whole Christian life, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Can you say the Holy Spirit? Can I hear an amen? amen? If I were to ask every single one of you guys to describe the essence of a Christian life, I am pretty sure that I will get a lot of different answers. I'm not saying there will be wrong answers, but I think I will get a lot of different answers. And yet I think the one answer I would not get a lot or as much is this, that the essence of the Christian life is the Holy Spirit at its core. So from the beginning, We've been talking about faith versus the law or the works of the law. But you see here, Apostle Paul, he's addressing now the elephant in the room. And that is the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit. So before we jump back into the faith versus the works debate, I believe the Lord has opened up the text for us today to think and to learn about the role of the Holy Spirit. You guys ready? You want to learn about the Holy Spirit? Amen? In fact, in the first few verses of chapter 3, Apostle Paul, he makes three references to the Holy Spirit. He talks about initially receiving the Spirit. Then he talks about us going to completion of our lives, starting with the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about God working among us and through us and within us by His Spirit. So let me break down these concepts into very factual, concrete truths for us. One is this, receiving the Holy Spirit is the essence of being a Christian, okay? Fact one. Number two, by the Holy Spirit, our Christian lives are carried out to completion. And lastly, God, he works in us and among us by his Spirit. Amen? So where in Scripture does it say that the Holy Spirit is the essence of being a Christian? Let me give you a few references here, okay? John 16, 8. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and enables us to believe in Jesus. Then 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we are joined to Jesus by baptism of the Holy Spirit. The list goes on, and I will too. John 6, 63, the Spirit raises us with Christ from our deadness to sin unto a new life. John 3, 5, it's by the Holy Spirit that we're born again as children of God. Need more? Well, I'll give it to you. Romans 8, 15, it says, it's by the Holy Spirit that we're adopted and that all of a sudden, by the Spirit, we're given the authority to call someone who's once distant, someone so holy, someone so perfect, Abba. 
Daddy, Father. Ephesians 1.13, it says, The Holy Spirit who marks us with God's seal of approval, of ownership. He says, I have you. You are mine. You, know, you see, not only did God make you, but through Christ, he has you. He doubly owns you. But here's another reference, but kind of in a negative light. Romans 8 and 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Don't tell me the Holy Spirit is not important. But I want you guys to consider the second part of what Paul said, and that is the Holy Spirit carries out our Christian lives to completion. I'm going to give you just a couple references. John 14 and 16 talks about the Spirit, who is the teacher who is given to us, and his job is to guide us into all truth. Then Philippians 1, 19 says the Spirit leads us to deliverance and helps us. Romans 8, 26 says the Holy Spirit prays for us and teaches us how to pray. He leads us to live this thing called the Christian life. So we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit's guidance for every aspect of our lives. When you pray, who prays here? Raise your hand. All right, I, I don't know how to take that right now because only like two of you raise your hand. When you pray, whether it's before work or when you're about to go into a meeting or simply talk with someone, do you actually pray and seek the Holy Spirit's guidance? For those moments. I'll tell you right now, even as a pastor, I meet with people on a weekly basis to either counsel them or simply say, like Adele, hello, it's me. Right? But here's the thing. Every time I speak with an individual, whether it is face-to-face or over the phone, I must pray. And I must seek the Holy Spirit for guidance. And you must pray, and you must seek the Holy Spirit to guide your words your thoughts, because how many times have we said careless things? We need the Holy Spirit to lead us in our emotions, in our everything. Pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare even that listener, the person who's responding, to respond well, to receive our words well, and for their hearts and their minds to be softened and open. The Bible says in Greek, the Holy Spirit is our parakletos, meaning he's our advocate. He is here to help you. Turn to your neighbor and say, the Holy Spirit is here to help you. In what ways? He is here to help us in our witness, to be a good witness to people, to fill us with wisdom. He is here to help us love the unlovable, to extend forgiveness. He is here to help us be convicted of our own sins and shortcomings. He is here to help us to encourage those around us. The Holy Spirit is is here in our lives because as Christians, we cannot live without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot know God. We cannot hear God. We cannot see God. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be dead to God. If you are God's child, know that he has not left you alone. No good father would ever do that. No good parent would ever do that. God has not abandoned his children to fend for themselves here in this broken world. He has given us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. So make it a habit every single day to pray to him, worship the Spirit, and let him into your life. Amen? Amen. Thirdly, God, he uses the Holy Spirit to work in us and among us. This is all part of point one, by the way. You know how to roll. You see, it's by signs and wonders that the Spirit authenticate the work of Jesus. Other fake apostles say, I'm an apostle of Christ. They go, really, we'll prove it. And they couldn't prove it because the Spirit was not working in them. 
So the Spirit would authenticate and prove that this person is, in fact, Christ and followers of Christ or apostles of Christ. And now it's the work of the Spirit that, that, makes, that ensures that Jesus is present in the church and around the world. By giving us his spirit, Jesus continues to empower his church and the body. Jesus continues to empower you and me through the Holy Spirit. God, he raises up servants and leaders in this church. Brothers and sisters, do you want this ministry to grow? Don't just pray for a miracle. Don't even just pray for a revival. Pray for the Holy Spirit to use every person who's already here. You hear me? Pray for the Holy Spirit to use the talents and the giftings that are already present. Spiritual numerical growth is not up to us. Revival is not up to us. It's up to God. Growth happens when churches are going well, sure, but guess what? Revival can also happen when things are not going well. Revivals have happened in the midst of immense blessings and seasons of prosperity. But did you know that the church has most often grown spiritually, numerically, and have exploded into joyous revival in the midst of persecution and oppression? So it's not up to us. But it is up to us to pray and seek the Holy Spirit. And depend on the Holy Spirit. We must pray. But we pray as individuals for the Holy Spirit to work, not just in the body, but in me. Work in me, Holy Spirit. I got an issue with this person, but you work in me. I was wronged by that person, but you work in me. This person sinned against me, but you work in me. Holy Spirit. We are nothing without God. We have nothing without Jesus. And we can do nothing without the Spirit. We must pray for the Holy Spirit to use me and you, to grow me and you, to convict me and you, to bring gospel unity to us all. Amen? My second point is that we need to live out the life in the Spirit by believing the gospel. Yeah, there's that G word again. By believing the gospel. So here's the big question you all are asking right now. Okay, so we need to live by the Spirit, we need the Spirit of God to work in us and among us, but how? How do you receive the Spirit? How do you progress to completion in faith? How is the Holy Spirit pleased to work among His people? The answer is this, by believing in the gospel. In other words, you and I, we did not receive the Spirit by keeping rules or by checking off spiritual boxes. We received the Spirit by faith in Jesus Christ alone. When the Spirit began His work in us, we can never complete it on our own human effort. There's no like, okay, after conversion, okay, Holy Spirit, I can take it from here now. I can live my life now. Thank you for your ticket of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, but now I'm going to go ahead and live my life. Master over my life, Lord over my life. I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll certainly take this salvation ticket. No. Do you know what it means to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in your life? It requires a consistent and constant daily submission to His personhood and to His will over your personhood and over your will. That's a hard pill to swallow. Now, being a good citizen 
always doing the morally upright things, never cussing, keeping some arbitrary list of rules will never enable us to see more of the work of the Holy Spirit. You can only see more of the Holy Spirit when you pursue the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, to live life in the Spirit is to believe the gospel. Now, you're all probably thinking this. Pastor David, how, your sermons are being sound a bit redundant. It's like you're a broken record, PD. We got it. PD, I get it. We can't do anything. Jesus is everything. Jesus is enough. He is the one who qualifies me. I get it, PD. Now can you tell me who the Antichrist is? Why do you think Apostle Paul and all the writers of the New Testament keep stressing the gospel? Because they know something. They know that we have a hard time relying on anyone else but ourselves. Even in this day and age, self-reliance has become an American virtue that has tragically infiltrated into our faith. Like, I have met Christians who refuse to give a single penny into the offering plate because when I ask them, they say, you know what? What I've made is up to me. It's mine. I did it. It's all me. It was all my doing. I have met people who profess to be Christians and yet who reject the authority of Scripture and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So what does knowing the gospel do for them in those cases? It makes us realize that we are nothing apart from who God is, what he says, and what he does. Do you know why many Christians don't want to submit? Here's the thing. Do you know why so many Christians, even people who say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, even the people who say, I will come to church every day and every, every, every early morning prayer service, I read the Bible, I pray. Do you know why so many self-professing Christians have a hard time in submitting to the Holy Spirit? Because they're scared that they might have to give up something. I mean, what can be a bigger indicator of our heart's attitude than the unwillingness to surrender and change? I want my cake and eat it too. It's beginning to sound a lot like the anthem of most Christians these days. The Holy Spirit and being used by Him is and will be the greatest joy of your life. Do you know that? Nothing can surpass the intimacy of a personal relationship with the creator God of the universe. Believing in the gospel allows you to be a part of that great God's plan, worked by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will benefit from being part of the Holy Spirit, not the other way around. Do you want to be a part and used by the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want to be used by God? Now, I'm talking about not used so that you can just read, the, read your Bible for that day. I'm talking about used by God to speak life and truth. To be a shining represent, rep, to be a wonderful, shining star, if you will, representative of Christ Jesus, our Lord, here in this dark world. You want to be used by the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember watching a movie a long time ago. It's called Twister. Have you seen it? It's a tornado movie. It's a great movie. It has Helen Hunt and other people. Well, these guys were storm chasers, specifically tornado chasers. They would load up their trucks with sensitive storm gear 
and scientific instruments to measure this and that and do whatever stuff. They would then put it in the way of the storm. The tornado would come, pick it up, and send back vital information. Now, how absurd would it be if one day the crew comes back, after coming back from doing whatever, you know, doing the measuring stuff with the storm, and now all of a sudden they think that they can control that storm, that F4, F5 tornado. That's somehow because they've thrown a couple bits of science, equipment, whatever, into that storm that they think their involvement now can somehow weaken or even intensify the storm. or They think that they can somehow even alter the course of that storm. People would laugh at them. Are you crazy? You can't control the storm. That's how it is with us and God. We simply think that if I obey a couple rules, if I live kind of righteously through our own little effort, that somehow we can initiate or manipulate or exercise control over the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign spirit of God. We don't control the Holy Spirit. He controls us. And to be controlled by him is the greatest joy of man. Do you want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Do you want more of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit does this. He has one aim, and that is to promote the Father and the Son. He wants to bring glory to God. The Holy Spirit only aims to glorify God and lead his children to know God and have God known. The spirit of the world, on the other hand, and we can call that the American dream, the pursuit of happiness or or pleasure or hedonism. You know what that does? That leads to self-promotion, chaos, sin, and death. The Holy Spirit leads to freedom, life, salvation, and glory. What do you want? What do you want in this temporary, finite life of ours? To build up your kingdom? To build up your resume? To seek after your desires? All for what? 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Then what? Paul goes on to explain more. You see, there are many false teachings out there. And these teachings say that we have to wield the Holy Spirit for our use and our advantage, but that's wrong. It's dead wrong. We should want the Holy Spirit to use us more and more. It's a privilege and the grace of God for us to be included in the works of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must pray every day and seek how the Holy Spirit can become a bigger and better presence and influence in our lives. Do you want more of God or more of you? In verse 2 and 5, Paul says this, that the people believed the gospel they heard. They simply believed it, and it was amazing. He was saying it's as simple as that. They heard the proclamation of Jesus crucified and risen, and they believed in him. God is not asking you to jump through hoops. He's saying, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Now that's different from what the false teachers and the opposition were saying because they were saying that just believing was insufficient. So you need to follow the law too, they said. In verse 3, believing in Jesus, they said, was a good start, nice start, good for you. But you know what? If you, in order for you to progress into a completion of your Christian life, you can only do it through your human effort. It starts with Jesus but ends with you. And in verse 5, they thought that if you followed the law, then 
then and only then, if you follow the law, then the Spirit of God will work in you. Our new life in the Holy Spirit is received by believing the gospel, and we live out the Christian life by believing the gospel. From beginning to end, it's all about grace. Brothers and sisters, when you stand before God after you die, you will not be able to stand before him on the basis of your own righteousness. You know that. There's nothing you could have done to be found acceptable. It's like this, okay? It's like someone coming to my house, knocks on my door, and I open the door and I say, yes? And the person looks at me and says, well, hello. I've had a 4.0 GPA in high school and all throughout college. I've received a master's degree from Harvard University, I was the youngest executive of a Fortune 500 company. I've made millions of dollars, and I have donated millions more to charity. I've been faithful to my wife throughout our entire marriage. I have raised wonderful children who are also now very successful and serve diligently in their communities. I have never stolen a thing in my life. I have never cheated anyone in my life. I have never given a false testimony. I am a very good person, so can I come in? To that, I would say, well, that's wonderful, guy, but I don't know you, so no, but I had, but I had a 4.0 GPA. I don't care, but I helped other people. I don't care. I don't know you, and that's what we do with God constantly. God only lets in people he knows. He lets in his children, not strangers. Listing off our accomplishments, our righteous acts will never qualify entrance into his presence. My resume will not make God know me more. We can stand before God only on the basis of the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. If someone comes to my house and says, and I open the door and say, hello, and this person says, Hi, I'm friends with Ada, my daughter. I would say, come on in. Ada, knowing that kid, qualifies them. Jesus knowing us, and therefore us knowing Jesus, qualifies us to the master of the house. Not by some random accomplishments. So Apostle Paul, he backs up his argument with verses 6 through 9. You guys know the story, right? God, he promises to create out of a childless old man and a childless old woman a people, a nation as numerous as the stars of the heavens. Everything about that promise was just ridiculous in the, in the ears of those two old people. It was impossible, humanly impossible, but God said it so Abraham believed it. You see, God, he didn't need Abraham's help. He only wanted Abraham to trust him, so Abraham did, and God declared him righteous. Because you trusted me. In faith, you believed me. In faith, you walked with me. In faith, you relied upon me. Therefore, I will declare you righteous. But wait, the story gets better. So God, he promised to bless the whole world through Abraham. But how? You see, Abraham was like any other human being with many faults. One of which was a lapse in faith and judgment which led to the creation of two warring descendants of Isaac and Ishmael. And yet God, he still worked through that and had better plans. Because in the fullness of God's time, God, he raised up one of Abraham's descendants named Jesus. 
Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose to give us new life. There's no one else in this world, in any other religion, who can ever claim that. But how can that blessing be received by people the same way Abraham was declared righteous by hearing the good news of God's gospel promise and believing it? That's why Paul said what he said in verse 1. He said, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's just staggered by their unbelief and even in their faulty logic or faulty gospel. It's like he's saying, so wait, hold on. If I were to hear you straight, you're willing, you're going to abandon the only means of salvation, the gospel of grace in favor of, I'm going to try my best. Is that what you guys are saying? That you're trying to get to a perfect and holy and blameless God based on your, maybe I'll be good enough? That's your guarantee? That's, that's, that's what you're trying to buy? If you recall a few weeks ago on the sermon about walking the gospel line, here we have the same truth except that the emphasis this time is on the enabling work of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, to be filled with the Spirit is to find the greatest satisfaction in God alone. I want you to think about that time. For those of you who are professing Christians, that time when you met the Lord in the most intimate, amazing way, whether it was still when before the sun came out, it was just during your morning devo, or perhaps it was at a retreat or a revival, or maybe it was on a Sunday morning or afternoon like this. How can we know that he is our greatest satisfaction? Well, here's my challenge for you all. Let the Holy Spirit run your world. Let the Holy Spirit run your world. Let him in in your relationships and friendships, no matter how spiritually hostile it may be. Call him into your families. Ask him to instruct and lead you as a father, as a mother, as a son, as a daughter, as a sibling, as a husband, wife. Bring him into your workplace, no matter how inappropriate people may think it may be. Invite him even into your most personal and private lives, that moment, that life, the, those Moments throughout your day that you never ever reveal to anyone else. Let the Holy Spirit run your world. And you will see that the greatness of the Holy Spirit lived out can be lived out even in the most broken parts of our lives. Now here's the thing, like I said before. He may ask you a very big question. He may ask you to surrender, surrender people in your life. He may ask you to surrender things that you have saved up for. He may ask you to surrender dreams that you have held on to for so many years. He may ask you to surrender anything and everything in order to have a greater hold on you. But I pray that we would cry out much like the psalmist, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked.
What is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, this moment? Do you really want more of God in your life? Or is this something that we've just grown used to saying, but not really believing? And if you don't believe it and you have a hard time with this, then you have to ask yourself, why don't you trust him? Why don't you trust in the promises of God? And this is my thinking. The reason why we are unwilling to surrender to God is because we are unwilling to trust him or that we can't. And the reason why we can't trust him is because we don't know him. You just don't know him. Think about that. Pray over that. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much evidence throughout your scripture that points to the extremism of what it means to be a follower of Christ. In Revelation, we know that those who were neither hot nor cold, but were lukewarm, were spit out. The word nominalism Weekend attending is incongruent with the gospel. To say, yes, Lord, but then add the word but is not consistent. Lord, we know that the progression of our Christian lives is that, a progression. But I think for many of us, too, that we have grown comfortable and perhaps even defensive in wanting to relinquish or surrender anything more. You see, God is a jealous God, and he wants everything of you. Everything. What are you so unwilling? What are you so scared of letting go? What are you afraid of? Don't you know that God is better? Don't you know that what the Holy Spirit can do in you and through you and for you is far greater than anything you can ever do for yourself or anyone can do for you. So the question you have to ask right now is, do, you, I, do I want more of the world or more of God? Do I want more of the things of the world or the things of God?
I certainly don't know what you're struggling with at this moment, but you do, and God does too. And so by his wonderful charity and his grace, he has given us this amazing tool called repentance to say, God, check my heart. I want to be new with you. Convict me of these things that have taken hold of my life for so many years so that, I can, so that you can have all of me. Holy Spirit, empower me and guide me to break through those walls. That I may look upon you, Lord, and realize that you are the absolute best. There is no one else, not even marriage, not even relationship. There is nothing else, not even a, an amazing career or profession that can ever take your place. Perhaps some of you guys have tried a lot to do your thing. Try to make right in your life. Try to accomplish things and to give yourself worth, to validate yourself. Or, but you always end up short. Why? Because anything and everything outside of God was never meant to satisfy you. Money, people, riches, fame, pleasures, none of that. It all falls short. I call upon you all to right now submit yourself before the Holy Spirit for he is God and he wants to do something in you right now. Okay? So let's go ahead and take this opportunity and pray to surrender, to repent, to give up whatever it is. Give yourselves over to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Let's pray.